Welcome to the Open Seat Podcast. Here at Open Seat, we recognize that the Bible was written in languages full of richness and beauty. Our goal is to explore the beauty of the New Testament, written in ancient Greek, that can sometimes become obscured in English translations. We desire to bridge the gap of scholarship and make these conversations about biblical Greek accessible to all curious people. Whether you have studied Greek for years or you are embarking on this journey today, all are welcome to take a seat at the table. Welcome to the Open Seat Podcast, episode 11. My name is Olivia Madrid, and I'm here with my friends, Caitlin McCracken. Hello, hello. And Cade Robertson. Hey, everyone. And today we have a guest, Sam Swanson. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Our last episode, again, was on going through like First John. And today we're just going to start looking at studying the Word and how to do that well. And as I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more um, during our time at CCU, we all had to write what is called an exegetical, so like a deep dive into the Bible. Um, so we just kind of like want to share that process and how to, yeah, study the Word Um, learn more about it in your own personal study. But to get us started, I want to know what everybody's pet peeves are. Uh, I'll start us off, um, because I think I've got a couple. One is just bad drivers. (laughs) Like, growing up in California and learning to drive in California, when people don't drive like Californians, which is probably good. It's the safer thing. Californians don't yeah. drive good. <laughs> no, I drive good though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd say, I'd say, yeah, bad drivers, or that's like a cheesy one. Like a more serious one is like when people say they're gonna do something and then don't do it. It like really bugs me because I'm like, mm-hmm. dude, just follow through on your word. And that's a, another pet peeve that I have. Okay, well, I'll go next. Um, the driving stuff made me think. My probably biggest pet peeve is when people are trying to merge and don't accelerate, and they just like <laughs> chill there on the side. And yes. I don't get road rage. Like I'm a pretty laid back person, but like that just yeah, I don't know, is so infuriating to me. <laughs> <laughs> she says with a big smile on her face. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Well, anyway. <laughs> okay. I think for mine, I have a pet peeve about myself. If I am talking and I use filler words like like, it drives me crazy. And then <laughs> so I get you notice so, yourself. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> and I get so s- stuck. And all I'm thinking about is the filler words. And then everything else that I say sounds dumb. So that drives me crazy. Interesting. <laughs> I, Having started the podcast, I agree with you now. <laughs> I don't think I, and also I've never had to, you know, talk in like a format like this before uh-huh. outside of like a podcast. But hearing myself and hearing how many times I say um or <laughs> and so that was a big one I noticed in the last episode. So I get it. <laughs> hmm, but that's interesting. You like hear yourself doing it as you're going <laughs> along. Interesting. Yep. Well, good luck today. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> You'll do great. Okay, Liv. Um, I have two, and they all do with cleaning and cleanliness. I 
there's a right way to load the dishwasher. And if it's like not done the right way, I just, I feel sad and upset. And so I redo it typically because it's just, there's a way to fit it all in there. Um, The other one has to do with sinks. So again, kitchen theme or even bathroom sinks. But if they're dirty, it just, I don't know. I get mad and I hate it. (laughs) I want it to be clean, nothing in them. Anyways. So now that we know how to all annoy each other, except Sam can annoy herself. Um, <laughs> Sam, we want to know who the heck are you? Yeah. So let's see. I have lived in Colorado my whole life. Um, and I know two of you guys from here. And Olivia and I are meeting for the first time on this podcast, which is pretty fun. Um, but yeah, I... Grew up in Colorado, went to CCU for school. I got a degree in biblical studies, um, and I'm now still living in the area. I go to Storyline Church um, with Cade, which is pretty fun. And yeah, that's a pretty basic overview. Oh, for work, I guess I could share that. For work, I am an executive assistant. I've done that for three and a half years at a software company. And on the side, I'm writing a Bible study. Nice. So yeah, Sam and I met. Um, fresh my freshman year, her sophomore year at Colorado Christian, and she was roommates with my RA, so we got to know each other through that and had a lot of fun times. We were both dancers basically all of our lives before school, so yeah. we would escape to the gym for a break and just <laughs> <laughs> mess around in the dance room, so that was a lot of fun. And Sam is just like the sweetest, kindest, most genuine um, person you'll ever meet um, who loves the Lord deeply and loves his word even more. So, And that's just something really cool about her and um, her passion to share that love with others, um, how to study the word and how to lead people to know the Lord better is just um, so sweet. So thanks for coming on and we're excited to dive into this topic with you. Awesome. Thank you, Caitlin. Of course. Yeah, and then I know Sam from home groups. Um, like she said, we both go to Storyline Church and go to the same home group every Tuesday night. And yeah, I've also just seen Sam's love for the word just on display at home groups. So um, I've loved getting to know Sam the last semester. So just so you guys can get to know Sam a bit more. Uh, Sam, what are the top three essential things for people to know about you? Yeah. Okay, let's see. So three, I'm going to say kind of three random things. Um, one, I am a, I call myself a social introvert. I need to be alone. I love mm-hmm. quiet mornings, reading, writing, whatever. But oh my goodness, I love being around people. And I love having a lot of friends and meeting new people and all of that. Um, but it's very much need to be alone and then love to be around people when I can. So I'm a social introvert. Um, I love mountain sports and activities like skiing and hiking, camping, kayaking, all that good stuff. And then this one's applicable to our conversation. Um, I am a total Bible nerd. I just, I think it's so amazing how God's word connects so well from the front to the back. And, um, yeah, I get really passionate when I talk about it. And just this last week, I think it was somebody, I was telling someone something about scripture and what I was learning. And they were like, your eyes light up when you talk about this. Mm. And it is so true. So I'm really excited that I get to talk to you guys about this today. Yeah. We're excited to have you. Thank you. (laughs) 
So last question that we ask people is, what is your experience with Greek, if any? Yeah, I took a couple semesters of Greek in college. So that gave me a little bit of a foundation um, for me to move forward and, you know, have a foundation as I'm reading commentaries and doing word studies um, for my current writing and um, other projects that I'm working on. So So you mentioned your current writing. So um, tell us a bit more about what you do um, in regards to writing and your journey of how you got to where you are with studying the word. Yeah. So let's see. I knew since I was... I think 14 that I wanted to be a writer. Um, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to write. A few years later, it was clear I wanted to, um, teach the Bible. And so got to college, started to study biblical studies, took, you know, the interpreting the Bible course. It blew my mind that there was an actual way and a method for studying scripture. Um, and I, yeah, I just fell in love with that and then took additional classes throughout, um, continued to learn more and more. And now I'm using that knowledge um, to write right now, primarily in two ways on my blog. Um, and then, so shorter form content on my blog, and then I'm working on a Bible study on the book of Nehemiah as well. Very exciting. And just sneak peek preview, I guess. When does that come out? <laughs> Ooh, I know you've been working on this. I wish I knew. <laughs> um, I so I have basically like a I don't know if you counted a second or a third draft. Okay. Um, but I'm waiting for feedback and should be pursuing publishing soon. So it's kind of out of my hands in terms of exactly how quickly this all goes. Mm-hmm. But I'm really hoping in 2024. Yeah, it's out there. Oh, that's so exciting! So, the yeah. beginning of the final stages. Yes. <laughs> so cool. Well, since Sam doesn't quite know exactly when her study is coming out, until then, like all of us are going to be having to do our own work on <laughs> studying the Bible. Um, so in like the biblical realm, we talk about this word exegesis when it comes to studying the Bible. So Sam, can you just one, like define like what is that and just kind of start going into more depth about it? Yeah. So really, exegesis is just a fancy word for the process by which we study and interpret scripture. Um, So I don't know. It's kind of funny. I feel like theologians sometimes take words and then complicate them. Um, But that's what it is. It's super simple. It's just learning how to read and understand God's word. There's another word called eisegesis that sounds very similar to exegesis. And what is the difference if we hear that? Yeah. So great question. That is... Eisegesis is when you basically put yourself and your presuppositions and your own understanding onto the text rather than letting the text speak for itself and then interpret and try to really understand what God is trying to speak through his word rather than what you want to see through it. So you would say that exegesis is better than eisegesis. That would be correct. Yep. (laughs) All righty. Just checking. Just checking. (laughs) We're on the same page. I love how simple your definition of exegesis is because I wrote down a quote that we were given in one of our classes. Um, It said the careful historical, literary, and theological analysis of a text. I really like just saying, like, let the text speak for itself, though. I think that you're totally right. And how do we do that, though? I think that Mm -hmm. it is looking at those, like, three categories are super helpful of, like, 
the history of the text and like the whether that's like the historical context or like when the text was written, um, the literary devices that are used, um, the theological history of like Mm -hmm. understanding of the text as well. And so, um, but yeah, I love how simple your definition is. Yeah. Yeah. I like those. Um, like what you, what you shared right there is really helpful, um, as well, because once we have that, once we understand that it's simple, then we can go deeper and it's not overwhelming because once we understand that, okay, we're here to, you know, go through the process of interpreting scripture, then we can say, all right, well, how do I do that? You know, and then at that point we have to say, well, what's the history behind this text? What is the literary context that it exists in? We start to ask all of those questions and we see that, you know, we're not just asking these questions for the sake of asking questions, but we're asking these questions so that, um, we can come to an understanding of God's word. I think it's important to just like what Sam was saying of it is simple and it is accessible for everybody. So it's not just people who have biblical studies degrees or who are writing their own Bible studies or for pastors. This is something that every time you open up your Bible and you do devotions or you just feel moved to read, like you're able to dive deeper and look at, like all these different facets of the text. Yeah. And I would actually just, you know, add on to that. Like, it's really amazing how far you can get without using any additional resources. You don't need commentaries. Mm -hmm. You don't need Bible dictionaries or, you know, these online resources that we have in order to understand God's word. And that's what I think is so beautiful. Like once you understand this, a simple method. And honestly, before you understand the simple method, God is speaking through his word and we get to go to it and know that he, through his spirit, will tell us what he wants to know. Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, Just it makes me think of Hebrews 4.12, I believe it is, where um, the author says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so if we approach reading the word as like, the God of the universe, our creator, our savior, our king, actually these are his words that he preserved for us, Mm -hmm. that he continues to speak to us through. That is a really helpful way to just, even before we start reading, approach the text. Yeah. I have a quote from the Westminster Confession of Faith. This is something that some Protestants put together back in the 1640s. So it's been around for almost 400 years. Um, It's a document that just has a really concise explanations of like the Christian faith and theology. So this quote right here, um, talking about scripture and how like it's clear and it's easy to understand. We don't need all these extra tools. Uh, quote, yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and open in some place of scripture or other that not only the learned, but the unlearned in a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. That was very wordy, and it sounds like it's from like the 1600s. <laughs> but again, what it's saying is that like the things that are necessary for us to believe in order to have like a saving faith in Christ are so clear in Scripture that anyone can read them and understand them. I think of sixth grade me opening my Bible, and God taught me and spoke to me through that. And mm-hmm. I knew none of this. I definitely did not know the word exegesis. Hmm. 
So now that we have kind of just a basic foundation of, yeah, what is exegesis and kind of why is it important? So what are the steps to starting to understand the Word of God? What process do you use and what does that look like? Yeah, so there are, you know, different people will teach this in slightly different ways, but there's kind of a a helpful um, foundational process that we're going to talk through today. And so basically, it's observation, interpretation, and application. And so what you're doing is you're looking at a passage of scripture, and then and you're starting by observing it. And, you're, and the question that you're answering as you observe this text is, what does this passage say? And then you move to interpretation. What does this passage mean? And then you move to application. How does this passage change the way that I live? With all the different methods of exegesis that exist and are taught, Sam, why do you think that these three of observation, interpretation, application are the best framework to operate from? Yeah. So I think to best answer this question, I'm going to share a little bit of a story. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in college, we were taught how to write an exegetical and just to throw in some really, not really, but some big words for a quick sec, and then we'll move back to simplicity. (laughs) Um, You know, we're taught how to do contextual analysis, literary analysis, genre analysis, detailed analysis, all these different pieces. And as I was learning all that, it was so helpful. But when I, I got to a point where I stopped being able to just open God's word and approach it as if, you know, I'm here to meet with the God of the universe. Mm. It started to become an academic thing. And I didn't want it to be only an academic thing, but that's what it became. And so I had to like majorly step back and, um, and just say, okay, how can I take these tools that I've been given, which are phenomenal, and how do I, how do I use a framework that's actually manageable maybe not manageable, that's not the right word, but a a framework that's approachable for day-to-day life and for, um, you know, meeting with God and studying his word in an approachable way. And so that's why I love this method is because it's so simple, it breaks it down, and it's something that even if I don't go extremely deep and maybe I'm not trying to, you know, answer the biggest theological questions from my study time that morning, but but I do want to ask the question, what does this say? What does this mean? And how does this change the way that I live? And mm-hmm. if I do those things, um, I think it's just so much more powerful and beneficial than if I get lost in the weeds. Yeah, yeah I totally agree with what you were saying, Sam. And um, like, I love that we all learned how to do deep dive study mm-hmm. um, during our time at CCU with all those Bible classes. Um, and I feel like that's helped me... Um, in many ways in how I approach the text. But yeah, I felt the same where I would get, I don't even know what you want to call it, like academic paralysis where I didn't even like want to open the word because I knew that as I like opened it up, then I would, my mind would start going, okay, I need to do this and look at this and look at this instead of just, okay, I lost, I think the sight of why we read the word of God. And like you said, it is to meet with our creator and hear what he has to say to us. And so I think 
as you were saying, Kate, like it's so helpful to know these things because when we do want to dive deep into something, like it's so helpful to have all these steps. Um, but it's also like, I don't know, maybe good to step back and not lose the big picture mm-hmm. so that you can like commune with God every day in his word and not be afraid to just read the word for 10 minutes and don't be like feel bad that you didn't go look at all the words in Greek or whatever. So, <laughs> Yes, I fully agree. So this last year, I was in a small group up in Denver. And so we went through, it's called Noble Word by Peter Kroll, which is a great resource. And so he really goes into this, like he does, you know, OIA method. So observation, interpretation, application. And so in the beginning of the book, he's talking about why is this a great method? And I just kind of wanted to share an overview of like reasons this is a good method. Um, And the first is saying it, this method kind of follows the way that we communicate already. So if somebody's like talking to you, you are, you know, observing what they're saying to you, then you're interpreting like how they're saying it to you and then application, you respond back to them. So this is already kind of just like integrated into who we are as people. So it's not like this weird method that we're all going to have a really hard time figuring out. Um, And then another reason that he has in here is that it works for any person, anywhere, and any age, right? So it's not something that you have to have a biblical studies degree in order to figure this out. Like, you can put it down to a level where, like, third graders or even three-year-olds are able to start, like, piecing this together and then even moving, like, all the way up through other age groups. Like, people are able to piece, like, these three methods together. Um, And then the last example that Kroll has in his book is saying that it's just one of the ways that Jesus approached the Bible. And so he uses Matthew 21, 42, 44, Um, as an example. And so he's talking about, you know, have you read the scriptures that's talking about the stone that the builders rejected? Um, And he's like, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from its fruits. And he kind of like interprets what's happening on there. So he does like an observation of like, have you read scriptures? He knows what happens in the Old Testament, right? And then he's interpreting this psalm and then he's applying it to those who are around him and like listening to him. So I think that Kroll just does a great job of showing how good of a method this can be for personal study. So Sam, do you mind spending a couple minutes just to explain a little more in depth, like what the step of observation looks like, what the step of interpretation looks like, and then application? Yeah, definitely. For observation, this is really about comprehending the text. We want to, again, the question that we're answering is, what does this say? So when I'm studying a passage of scripture, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll read through it many times, and then I will write down, what do I think the, the big idea of this text is? I haven't done deep study, but this is, you know, what I think overall the passage is saying. Um, and then just to go a little bit deeper, I just write out my observations. So I actually, the first time that I really did this, um, oh, I did it before, but the first time that I remember really doing this was in one Bible class, the Synoptic Gospels, and our professor did not tell us why he was having us do this, but every day we had to read a passage of Mark 
and write 25 observations. And this is not a big passage. It was a short few verses, and we had to write down our passages or our, um, observations on this passage. He never told us why. He just had us do it. And I was like, all right, easy 10 points. Good. Done. Good old Jones. Turn it in. Yes. <laughs> and it wasn't until multiple weeks into the class that I realized I am reading this. I'm reading scripture completely differently than I used to because I was forced to look at four verses and see more than I had ever seen before. And so I'm taking a lot of time to say this one because I truly believe that this will change the way you read scripture. If you slow down and observe and write down your observations, you'll notice, wait a second, how did my eyes skip over that? Or Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that they told us what location they're in. Or I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that, you know, he was talking to this person and all of that gives you context for moving further along in this method of interpretation. So to start writing down your observations is a really helpful tool. So you take the time to write down the observations of a passage. And then a really helpful thing is to answer or to look at the five W's, which if you've taken any English class ever, you've probably talked about the five W's, which is who, what, when, where, and why. So basically you look at the passage and you say, who is the author? Who is the original audience? Where are they writing? Where is the original audience living? Um, When is this happening? So all of these questions will give you context for understanding what is this passage saying? I love that you mentioned the W questions, Sam, because we even talked about this as we were looking at our verbal aspect episode where the aorist tense often answers the question of like, when or where this event happened, while the present and imperfect tenses answer the questions of like who and what happened. Um, And then the perfect tense and and pluperfect tense often answer the question of why. And so I love that even in the, if you're using the Greek, like the W questions are a helpful tool as we look at tenses. But then if we're not, if we're just studying the Bible at home on a Wednesday morning, like go through the W's and these are like the observations you make. They don't have to be complex observations. It's like Jesus talked to the Pharisees. Like it can be that simple. That's all we need to do. Totally. I love that. Yeah. And I love that like this is such a natural place to start. Um, It's how we learn what's going on in a text. And even if you're like sitting down to write a Bible study or a sermon, like you'd obviously still start here as Mm -hmm. well and maybe just spend a bit more time answering those questions. But no matter what you're doing, this is a fantastic way to just start learning more about what you're reading. Yeah. And it's amazing how much of the answers are right in the text. That's what I didn't realize before college, honestly, was how if you learn to actually see what's in scripture, you realize that I mean, commentaries are enormously helpful. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful for the people who write them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can get so much just straight from the Bible itself. So I love that. Um, so another tool that is really great is, 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 I don't know that there's a name for this, but basically the idea is studying the literary context. And it's so simple. Let's say you're reading a passage what you do is you look what comes before directly before this passage, what comes directly after this passage, and how does this passage fit into the context of the book as a whole. So simple, but when you do that, you realize, oh my goodness, this author was actually trying to say something before that was going to lead up to this. 
And maybe the thing that they say next rounds out or concludes what they started here. And maybe, you know, the rest of the book talks about other or talks about the same topic in other ways, and it just gives you a fuller picture. So that's a super helpful tool. And um, two others that I want to say quickly, um, studying genre is really important because if you're reading a poem, you're going to interpret it differently than if you're reading narrative or apocalyptic literature. Um, Poems are not meant to be taken literally. literally. They are often metaphors. And um, so we just have to take that sort of thing into account. And as you're studying genre and the literary devices, you can pay attention to things like like metaphors or like repetition, um, because that will often give you insight. You know, if repetition, for example, that will give you insight into something that the author most likely thought was really important because they said it four times, not once. Um, so those are a lot of the tools. There's many more, but um, those are some of the basic ones that I wanted to bring up really quick. So that overall is how do we observe a passage? Um, these next ones are going to happen a little bit quicker. Um, there's just so much to cover in observation, but the next one in our method is interpretation. What does the passage mean? And there's two points that I want to mention here. Cross-references are extremely helpful in understanding or in interpreting a passage. Um, Basically, the idea here is let scripture interpret scripture. So when you're reading Mm. one passage and it links out to another one, read that other one, because it probably will give you more insight into what is happening here. Um, So that's one really great tool. And then the other one is always reading in light of the gospel. The whole Bible is a story of redemption. It's all just one big rescue plan of God bringing his people back to himself. And, you know, it culminates in the gospel. And so when we read and interpret, we have to remember the gospel and, um, and remember or and pay attention to how does this passage point me back to God's rescue story? Yeah. One piece that I, yeah, just want to bring up on the interpretation piece is that, so scripture is true and scripture is God's word. So that means there is a meaning behind it. Um, Mm -hmm. You may walk away with different applications or different kind of like thoughts that come into your mind, but like God's word is true and has a purpose. And so you can, yeah, rely on that. There is a meaning. And with like prayer and the Lord's help, like he will point you to the meaning like of the passage. Yeah. I pulled a quote from Scott Swain, um, who's a professor at RTS, I believe. Um, but he said, biblical interpretation is a human activity performed in communion with the triune God of grace. Mm-hmm. And so just to hammer home what Olivia just said, like God is at work when we are interpreting the Bible. Mm-hmm. And as we've been learning from First John, God is truth. If we're interpreting the Bible properly, like we will come away with truth because God is at work. He's speaking to us and he is using his word, which he wrote to speak to us. And so it's good. we're going to come away with truth if we're properly uh, exegeting and properly 
And going back to Sam, what you said about cross references real quick, because I loved um, that point that you made about interpretation. And a lot of our Bibles um, do have like a little section on the side or the bottom where there's like cross references that help us um, be pointed in a corresponding passage. But also I've noticed like personally, and I'm sure you guys have too, like the more time you spend reading the word, the Lord just like brings different passages to mind as you're reading a certain passage. And it's like the coolest thing because you're spending time with God by reading his word that he's speaking to you. And in that process, the more and more time that you spend, he will continue to bring his word to mind. And it's really, I don't know, just a neat thing I've noticed like as you further your relationship with the Lord, just how your mind becomes saturated and the cross references just kind of pop up on their own. Yeah, that's so true. Can I share an example really quick of interpretation? Yeah, go ahead. So I want to kind of make this practical um, because if I, if all I do is spew a bunch of tools, none of this will stick. (laughs) Um, But Again, to reiterate, what we're trying to do with interpretation is basically t- create a bridge. So we're trying to bridge what this passage meant to the original o- audience, and the bridge moves forward to what it means for us today. And so that bridge can be maybe a really short, easy, straight bridge where it says, you know, Jesus says to love your enemies. Guess what that means in the 21st century? <laughs> love your enemies. Um, <laughs> pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then there's other parts of scripture where the bridge is a little bit windier and we have to go through a few, a little bit more to really understand what it's, what it's saying. And there is still an application. All of scripture is for all of us, but it might not be applied in the same way across all time. For example, um, there's different parts in the New Testament where Paul says to greet one another with a holy kiss. You don't see a whole lot of people going to church and greeting everyone with a holy kiss. So either all of us are living in sin or that has to do with interpretation. And I um, I would argue that we're not wrong <laughs> by not going around giving each other holy kisses. Um, but the point that I want to make here is you know, using historical context can help us understand that and come to that conclusion because we might read this and say, okay, that seems to be a pretty clear command, but what is the context that Paul is writing in? What did it mean to greet someone in this way? Was this a typical greeting? Was this specific to Jews or Rome, the Romans or whatever? Um, you know, are there other ways to express what was meant by a holy kiss in that time? So a lot of interpretation is asking good questions and then doing a little bit of digging to then answer those questions. But it starts by saying, okay, maybe maybe there's a bridge and how do I get from one end of the bridge to the other? Um, yeah. Before, before we jump into the application set, I just want to like, come back to like what we were learning in college with the steps of an exegetical real quick. Mm-hmm. Cause again, we were taught for, you know, cause not everyone was a biblical studies major, but I know that we have some friends listening. Um, we were taught to do historical context plus literary and canonical, which means how does this story fit in the entirety of scripture 
to look at the genre, which means look at the literary devices, to look at the type of writing that it is, um, and then to do a detailed analysis, like a verse-by-verse expository examination of what the Bible is saying. And I love, again, that we're operating from this framework today in this episode of observation and interpretation and application, mm-hmm. because by no means are we throwing out what we learn in college. Mm-mm. Like, you, like over and over, Sam, as you've been talking, it's like, oh, that's the uh, contextual analysis section of my exegetical work. That's mm-hmm. my genre analysis. So for those who have had the opportunity to study the word in seminary or in college, um, we like we are just echoing everything that mm-hmm. we have learned. Um, but like we learned in college, because I know Jones, our Professor Jones, really hammered this home too. All of our initial examinations should be from the word itself. Yeah, we should not bring in our extra tools or anything like that until we've done a full, mm-hmm. proper observation on our own. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly Sam what you're trying to remind us here today is that we don't need those tools, those academic scholars that have gone before us to understand the word. Like we need to start with the word itself, and like God is faithful. God will speak to us through His word. Yeah, one hundred percent. The third part of our method today is application, and this asks the question, how does this change the way that I live? And when I'm going through the observation, interpretation, application method, I, I do want to answer that question, but I kind of do it in with two sub-questions. <laughs> so what I like to do is ask, what does this passage reveal about God? And in light of that, what does this passage reveal about who I am and how I should live in light of that? So the point there is rather than jumping straight to me and how I feel and how I live, let's start with God, because primarily this is a book about God. And so I want to learn about who he is, and I want to um, have a deeper understanding of his character. And then once I'm there, I understand myself better because he created me and I'm supposed to live as an image bearer. Well, I am an image bearer, and I'm supposed to live in light of that. Um, And yeah, I'll give a quick example of this as well, because sometimes it can feel intangible to answer that question. What does this teach me about God? Okay, well, God is generous. Great. (laughs) I should be generous too. Great. That was fun. All right, now I'm off to work. (laughs) Like, that's not... There's so much more. It's actually like... It was Tozer who said, what we believe about God is the most important thing about us. Mm. And I am starting to understand that more and more. Um, An example from my personal life, I had, isn't it fun when we like realize fears that we have and then we realize their roots and we're like, well, that's a lot (laughs) to unpack. But I realized that I had some specific fears around, um, getting into certain situations in life. And I was worried that God was going to let bad things happen to me in order to sanctify me Hmm. and not just let them, but almost like he needed this to happen to me. He needed me to hurt in this way or experience these bad things in order for me to be sanctified. And that was a complete misunderstanding of who God is. He doesn't need me to sin. (laughs) He does not want me to sin. He doesn't need me to be impacted by the worst of other sins in order for him to shape me into the image of his son. Mm -hmm. And I was misunderstanding his goodness 
and not recognizing that he actually wants me to walk. Like there's going to be pain and there's going to be heartache, but he's not trying to coerce me into this extra painful path. He wants good for me and he wants to bless us and he's with us in the hard, Mm -hmm. but I was just forgetting his goodness and, and, you know, taking this big idea of sanctification and seeing that separated from his goodness. And what I needed to do was remember who he is. And then, and then I didn't have to be afraid because I could trust that when I followed him, he leads to the path of life and that's Mm -hmm. good. Mm -hmm. So that's just, I wanted to share that because I think that these questions actually do change not only how we think about God, but how we live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they definitely should. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I love that you shared that, that experience that you've had um, with the word and with reading the Bible. Um, Like one of the things that I wanted to make sure we talked about today was like the idea of presuppositions. And like, that's kind of what you were getting at is, Everyone has lived life, and everyone has experienced different things in life. And so as a result, everyone's going to approach Scripture with expectations, in in a sense. Or even sometimes expecting Scripture to say something, expecting it to not say something. Um, And one of the most important parts of, like, interpreting the Bible well, that, that we may apply it to our lives well, is to remove our presuppositions. Cause like you said, you had this, um, like fear that like God was going to put me through these horrible things that I might be sanctified. Like I have to, <laughs> I have to go through, through these things in order to have something to be sanctified about right. almost. And like, that's not the heart of God. And when you approach scripture with that expectation, you might read about like the suffering that Paul went through or the horrible things that happened to the Israelites. You might assume, like, well, that's that's God putting them through these horrible things because that's what he does. Um, but you've got to remove that presupposition so you can see, no, God is a God of grace and mercy, a God of love. And so when I interact with people today in our culture, like, you, like Christians or non-Christians, doesn't matter who, one of the strongest things that like people have to overcome when it comes to studying the Bible is like their own presuppositions. Mm-hmm. Um, like why, why would God allow evil in a world? God is the cause of this evil. He has to be, if he's all powerful, you know, stuff like that. Um, like what you think about God before you enter the text, like can affect how you interpret and understand the text, but proper exegesis is removing those expectations. Mm-hmm. And like we said, like from the very beginning, we want to let the word speak for itself we don't want to project our own. We don't want. To, we don't want to make the word say what we want it to say. Yeah. We just gotta let God speak for Himself. Yeah. Oh, which reminds me of such a cool quote, guys. I love <laughs> Tim Keller. I've been listening to so much Tim Keller lately. He's amazing. And at the end of one of his sermons, I was listening to the other day. He said, "Just let Jesus be who He is. Do you want a real God?" Or do you want just a projection of your own heart? Mm-hmm. Again, let Oof. Jesus be who he is. And like, that's hard. And that, like, that's convicting too. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so important mm-hmm. when it comes to reading the Bible. So this is a Greek podcast. Um, just talking about how we use the Greek 
um, and getting to know the Lord more through it. So in this entire process of um, studying the Word of God, how does the Greek fit into this? And where in the studying and where in the different types of methods would we use the Greek that we're learning to know more about God? The observation step is a great time to start looking into definitions. And the cool thing is you can actually start with English definitions, but you can then go deeper into Greek definitions. Um, An example of this is I recently-ish, (laughs) recently-ish, did a deep dive into Philippians 4. And I went, I approached it asking the question, what does it mean to be content? Mm. And and can contentment and logging coexist? Um, and so I had my questions that I wanted to answer, but I went to this text and um, ended up looking up the Greek of the word that Paul used for contentment, and it gave such a deeper insight. So, you know, we're, Paul is talking about contentment, and then he, he makes the quote, or he says the quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's interesting looking at the Greek behind that because the word that he used for contentment technically was used often to mean self-sufficient. But when you read it in context, he's not Mm. saying I am self-sufficient. He's saying that by Christ's strength, that's enough. Mm. I can be content because Christ's strength enables me to and gives me what I need. Um, So that's one example and kind of how I would say it fits into the observation piece before you move into interpretation. To answer kind of like my own question with that, two thoughts that I have with the Greek in using um, these methods. So one, Sam was just touching on it a bit. You can do what we call a word study. So you can find some words that either appear a lot in, you know, that passage that you're looking at or some words maybe you have some confusion on or seem to be kind of the main point. Looking at the Greek, diving deep in there. Um, seeing kind of what the real meaning, you know, is of that Greek word, seeing does the English best portray that? Does it not? You know, kind of going deeper. Um, The second piece I would say is we've talked a lot about word order and even aspect um, in a lot of our episodes. So again, word order is different, you know, in the Greek than it is in the English. The author in Greek can move words to the beginning of the sentence to show more importance or kind of group things together to show how all things fit. Um, And then again, with aspect, the author could be using different pieces of that to highlight things that are important that they want their audience to pick up on. And so I think, again, moving into that observation piece and even the interpretation piece, like those are like really helpful things to be using the Greek um, for studying the word of God. And even just to give like two more real brief examples, on the very first episode of this podcast, like I talked about um, the passage where Paul talks about putting on the armor of God and how mm-hmm. in the English, Paul is just commanding you, like I mean, he's speaking to you, like that's his audience. Um, but in the Greek, it's very obvious just from the structure of the word. It's like you plural, you all. Like I'm not writing to one specific person. I'm writing to you, the church. Um like that just gets lost in the English sometimes, but that's such an important application idea because when we think about putting on the armor of God, it's not just that like we are putting on the armor ourselves, which we are, we should be, but like like those around us should also be equipped because like we're 
a unit. Like we are standing together as the church. And like that is the idea Paul's trying to get at. And I also think, I think we've talked about it. If not, we're definitely going to talk about it in the future. But I feel like we've mentioned it. Um, in Hebrews, there's a Greek word, hilasterion. And then there's also a Greek word in First John. This is what I can't remember if we've talked about it yet or not, uh, which is halasmos. It's the same root there. Halasmos is describing Jesus as our atonement. And hilasterion is translated as mercy seat. And we might not know what that means right away, but that's like referencing to the the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, where on the Day of Atonement, the blood of the sacrificial lamb would be sprinkled to make atonement for the, the sins of the Israelites. And this the root is the same. It's like Jesus as our atonement is this, you know, is halasmas, hilasterion. It's very, like, those are interconnected words. Those are carrying the same idea. So Jesus as our atonement, we should automatically think of the Passover lamb of the Old Testament and how the blood of the lamb made atonement for the sins of the people. And in the same way, the blood of Jesus has made atonement for the sins of the whole world, for those who believe in him. And so that's another example of just like atonement and mercy seat. Like we, those don't have the same root in the English, obviously. Like we can't tell that. But looking at the Greek, we can see where those words have come from. And how crucial it is that those are two ideas that need to be connected as we think about them. Hmm. I think um, to answer your question, Liv, for me, um, I feel like because I am still not super fluent in just reading a passage in Greek, like opening my GNT and like um, just reading a passage, like it's slow for me. So I do find that helpful. Um, in like the step of observation when I read the Greek text um, because it forces me to slow down because I'm Mm -hmm. still trying to figure out like what all the words are doing. And so I feel like if you do know Greek and like just an encouragement to keep reading every day in your Greek New Testament along with your English um, because it does help in pausing and reading a bit slower and observing all the things that are going on that you may miss if you're just flying through in your own language. Um, So that's one thing for me. And then also, like, if you're doing a deep study um, and using more of the detailed method that we learned in college, which I absolutely love and had so much fun doing in the section of detail analysis, that is also where you could pull in... um, more word studies and diving into the structure of words and how the passage is written in the original language to give more um, insight into the passage and what's going on. And that all of that still falls in the observation step. So whether you are just reading or you're doing a deep study, um, you can definitely utilize the Greek in very helpful, meaningful ways. So, Sam, that was a lot of good knowledge that um, we've all just been talking about with different, you know, ways to study the Word of God. But if you could give us, like, a 30-second recap and just kind of basic overview of what we talked about in this episode. And then once you do that, what are some resources that we can be using and other people who want to study the Word of God be using to help them in this process? Yeah. So basic overview of what we've talked about, um, we started by giving a definition of exegesis, which is basically the process by which we interpret God's word. And then 
we have a um, specific process that we mentioned here in this episode, which is observation, interpretation, application. And with observation, we start by asking the five W's, who, what, when, where, why. And then we have tools like paraphrasing and like writing down our observations. And the big thing there is just train yourself to see things that you wouldn't normally see. Take five verses, write 25 observations. It will change the way you read scripture over time. Interpretation. What does this passage mean? And really the key here from transitioning to observation to interpretation is asking questions that get you to not just say, okay, what am I seeing on the on the top or on the surface, but how, what is the underlying principle here mm-hmm. that the passage is communicating? And, um, and that can often get us to the point where we say, oh, there's, it's not just, you know, Paul saying to greet one another with a holy kiss, but this underlying foundational truth that applies across um, centuries is this, idea of brotherly love among the Christian community. Mm. And then we transition to application, which is how does this passage change the way that I live? And there I would just encourage you to remember, you know, to really look into how does how does scripture change the way we see God and therefore in light of that change the way that we live. So there are definitely some great uh, resources where you can go deeper into this and there's, yeah, there's a lot of great resources, honestly. Um, Jen Wilkin is amazing, and she has a we book called... We love Jen. Nice. <laughs> she has a book called Women of the Word, but it honestly isn't for women only. It's so It's very gender neutral, and anyone would benefit from reading that. So if any part of this episode piqued your interest, she does a great job of taking all of these big ideas and then writing them down simply. And so I would highly recommend that book. Um, another another great resource is precepts.org. That also, they also go through this observation, interpretation, application method. And so you can go there and, um, and read a little bit more about that. And then the third thing that I'll, and final thing that I'll say here is if you're very new to this and you've never you've never really tried to study God's word. Maybe you've read it, but you've not moved to that next step or you've tried and you just feel a little lost. There's no shame in finding a Bible study or finding some sort of resource that walks you through that and equips you to then do it on your own. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm writing a Bible study um, is to walk people through observation, interpretation, application so that it becomes second nature and they do that on their own. So Jen Wilkin, Felicia Masonheimer. I happen to be more in the women's space. That's why I know these names. Um, but those are, they have some great studies. Um, you can sign up for my email list, samanthaswanson.com. And soon I will be having a, I'll be publishing my study. Um, and that is really meant to equip you as well. Awesome. So just to reiterate that, to find your blog and resources there, can you say that website again? Yes, samanthaswanson.com. And right now you can sign up for my email list and I post very sporadically on my blog, but <laughs> the Bible study will be coming out hopefully very soon. Awesome. We'll put that in the, the episode footnotes if you want to look at Sam's content from there. 
And as we wrap up, I just want to stop and look to our future hope as uh, learning to interpret the Bible well and practice exegesis well. It's so important. But one day we have a hope um, that we won't need to do this. Uh, I quoted Scott Swain once. I'm going to do it again. Uh, He said, one day God will not address us through Holy Scripture, and we will not respond to his address through interpretation or application. But God will speak to us face to face, and we will know him as we are now known. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love that. Because, again, this theme of Scripture itself, this idea of, man, we lived in perfect harmony with God, and we sinned, we, you know, the, the world entered into sin, we were exiled from the presence of God. And all of the Bible, focusing on Christ especially, um, points back to this one future day where God will dwell with us, like He will be our God, we will be His people. Mm-hmm. And so we can just rest in this assurance that one day God is, like, we can see Him. We'll be able to see Him and hear Him, uh, know Him face to face. So as we work to practice exegesis well now, we have a future hope that one day we won't need it. Yeah, thanks, Cade. Um, this has been just a good, applicable episode. So whether you know, you're know you new to Greek or you've known Greek for a long time, these are just things that you can take with you on just studying the Word of God. So our hope would be you would listen to this episode, take in some of these um, new, maybe new application ideas, new study methods, um, and apply them and try it out. Um, We are so glad that you listened today. Our next episode will be on 1 John, so make sure to listen to that. Sam, thank you for coming on the podcast with us and just sharing, yeah, everything you had today about studying God's Word. We loved having you on here. Well, thank you so much. It was wonderful to talk with you. Yeah. All right. We will talk to you all next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for taking a seat with us today. We hope you were encouraged as we discussed the glory of God revealed through His Word. If you'd like to join or participate in the conversation, follow us at Open Seat Podcast on Instagram or send questions to our email, openseatconvos at gmail.com. Until next time, grace and peace.